It's uh, it's good to be with you today. I hope that you were looking forward to today as much as I was. What a blessing it is to be together and to uh, do these things together and have the fellowship that is part of uh, God's people. Those who are watching from other places, we welcome you. We're glad that you're here with us to worship. I hope you were in the Word this week, that it has been rich for you. And if you have missed that, please make a plan to do that very thing. Find a Bible reading plan. Version has a number of plans that you can work through, particularly over the summertime. They have a great uh, number of topical plans that you can read through. But my encouragement always is to you to begin to read through the Word, start at the beginning and work all the way through the end every year. Just work your way through the Word of God. I'm currently in my own study through the Word of God. I'm in the Old Testament and the New, and then in wisdom literature. So three places every day for me uh, as I work my way through the Word of God this year. And so it's been a blessing. I hope that it's been an encouragement to you too. John Bunyan had a little poem that went like this. There was a man, some called him mad. The more he gave, the more he had. J.L. Kraft, uh, who served as the president of Kraft Foods from 1909 until his death in 1953, and who for many years gave the Lord 25% of his income, is noted for saying, quote, The only investments I ever made which have paid constantly increasing dividends is the money I have given to the Lord, end quote. John D. Rockefeller Sr. is noted for saying, quote, I have given from every dollar God has entrusted to me, and I want to say, if I had not given from the first dollar I made, I would not have given from the first million dollars that I made, end quote. Henry Cowell, he's the founder of Quaker Oats Company and a significant tr- contributor to the work of Moody Bible Institute, knew how to use money wisely. As a young man, he received Christ as his Savior when he began his business career in a little Ohio factory. He promised God that he would honor him in his business practices and in his giving. God blessed his efforts, and as his business grew, he increased his giving, and after more than 40 years, mark this, of giving 60% of his income to God, Cal testified, quote, I've never gotten ahead of God. He's always been ahead of me. End quote. Maybe in our cancel culture, you might have thought that the only multimillionaire that was concerned about a biblical worldview of money was S. Truett Cathy. He seemed to be the one always getting into trouble with the left. But there are many, many, many more who are faithful in that way. And no doubt some of you could stand up and give the same testimony that Cal gave in giving. I have never gotten ahead of God. He has always been ahead of me. And over the last several weeks, we've been together, we've been laying a foundation of understanding uh, for the remarkable example of New Testament giving we find in our current verse-by-verse study through the letter of 2 Corinthians in chapters 8 and 9. We've labeled some of these messages topically, as you've noticed as you've come through, uh, but all of them could be labeled spiritual instructions for a material world, all of them, because that's really what we receive from the Word of God. And as we've seen, that way that we manage what God has loaned us or a study of our financial statements is a quick indicator of the location of our hearts. No question. God has made a material world as well, and we've seen that, and it is for us to use and to provide for our needs, and we've seen that he disperses uh, all the things that we need in his own sovereignty. He uses a number of ways to do that. Uh, It is his desire to provide uh, it to us through work, and through savings, and through char- uh, tr- uh, for plan and planning and, and investments and gifts. And we're not to attempt to gain wealth, we saw last time, by stealing it or charging interest for it or defrauding someone for it or gambling for it. And so we've laid that foundation so far. 
We're to do it God's way so that we may have uh, what we need and some to give away. Now, certainly we've seen by now that, that it's God's desire to bless those that are his and to supply for their needs and, and to provide for their future and to provide so they can generously and abundantly share. And God's not against any of those things. And now, as we said last week, maybe you've come to the point in this series, a number of uh, messages now that deal with the love of money and that deal with all the background information of how God provides wealth and all that. And, and you come to the point in the series and you said to yourself, you see the scriptures that God has a plan for your provision and for your security. But you are thinking, well, that's true enough from Scripture, but that doesn't describe my life. I or we don't have anything. We don't have enough. And as we did when we asked the question, do I love money? And we went through a series of passages that allowed us to evaluate where we are. Uh, there are some questions we can use to evaluate our situation from the Word of God. And we're going we're gonna to look through them today. That's our desire to really uh, focus on them. And the, the idea is, as we do this, it's going to allow uh, you to take all of the principles we've learned and apply them. And I don't, you know, I don't pretend to know all the possible scenarios for your life. If you've shared them with me, I know some of them, but I don't know all the possible scenarios. And it might be a combination of things as we go through here that have contributed to the fact that you don't have what you need and you can't give and you have nothing to share and all of that. Uh, but the Lord knows this and the Holy Spirit certainly does. And, and he's able to make it clear to you. And that's why I prayed, as I prayed at the beginning, that we would know these things and then be able to get on the track the Lord would have for us. And and so he can give us the wisdom to apply the knowledge that we gleaned from this study and then see the principles go to work in your life. Because as soon as you add God to the mix, as you begin to honor him with what you have, you begin to see that he can provide for what you need. And he has a plan for that already. And it's not foreign to him. And He's already he was the one who said it to begin with. We're not manufacturing all of those things. Now, the first passage I want us to look at, and I'm going to be in quite a few today, is uh, found in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24. It is it is uh, a recurring theme in Proverbs, as you know, and we've spent a lot of time there because that is wisdom literature, and it tells us what to do and how to do it. Uh, this passage is very interesting, and it's going to be our first question, but here's the passage. There is one who scatters and yet increases all the more. There is one who withholds what's justly due, and yet it results only in want. So you have two opposite ends of the scale. You have someone who is giving generously, that's the idea of scattering, and yet is never lacking, increases all the more. And there is one who withholds what's justly due, and yet it results only in one. In other words, somebody who is keeping something that the Lord has certainly intended for it to be given away, and yet they don't have what they need, and they result only in want. Verse 25, the generous man will be prosperous, and he who waters will himself be watered. Now, question number one. If you don't have what you need and, and you find that you don't have anything to say, uh, to, you're not saving, you're not planning, you're not, and all these kinds of things and you don't have any, you don't have what you need and, and you can't give anything away. Number one, am I selfish? That's the first question you need to ask. Do I not have what I need because I'm selfish? In other words, have you been giving enough away? Or are you just kind of consuming it all on yourself? Holding it in your hands so tightly that God can't get it out. One, one of the big blessings of my life as a very, as a relatively young man, 18, 19, was to have a close mentoring relationship with a man named John Kinder, who is now with the Lord and has been with the Lord many, many years. John Kinder was a businessman in Tucson, Arizona. He started a little restaurant uh, that was just a novelty kind of idea, and it expanded. And before very long, five or six restaurants around Tucson. Tucson at that time was not a large city, maybe 100,000 people. John prospered. John was a faithful believer, gave away a large percentage of his income, and yet never uh, he never got ahead of the Lord. He's one of those ones that would say, and it, that's exactly what he said to me, and I just quoted it to you, Kurt, don't hold money in your hand so tightly that God can't get it out. 
and he just always gave those little nuggets, and the Lord has taken him home, and I'm so glad he's in his in his resting place, but we miss him because he was a marvelous guy. And so uh, the question the question is, have you lost the finest investment you could have, and that's to give it away? Uh, because the passage is really surprisingly clear, and it's directly linked to our passage in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says this, it says, uh, Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he's purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able, mark this, beloved, to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, that's painting with a really broad brush, always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Now in the Proverbs passage we just looked at, uh, there is one who scatters, so it would seem that he would have nothing. And yet the paradox is really the key to understanding the passage. Because be honest, you may fear, as some do, who've not given as they should, that they will give money and God will only give back spiritual blessings, as if somehow that's a bad thing. But that's in your mind, perhaps, that you're going to give away money and you need money but God's only going to give you spiritual blessing. And that, that comes into the mind. And so the passage really is clearly speaking about material things in Proverbs. There's no way you can you can understand it any differently. And in 2 Corinthians 9.6, which we're going to look at in depth in just a few weeks, is clearly speaking about material things, the one we just read. And so when you give the right, you, you give the right way, it clearly gives us the understanding that God is able to make sure that you have what? All sufficiency in everything. So in giving correctly, God makes sure you have what you need. People, a lot of times, and I, we use this as an illustration as we counsel, people look at what God provides like a pie. And so you kind of cut the pie, and then you take a piece out, and then you, know, you have less pie, and pretty soon there's no more pie to take out. But I don't think that's the way that the Scripture describes it for us, and we're going to see this uh, in a number of weeks. I look at it more as a silo. It's a silo more than it is a piece of pie. It's... As you scoop out, more comes in from the top, right, and falls down. If you're familiar with farming at all, you know that's how that works. Of course, you blow all that grain up there at the harvest time, and then it continues to fall in. But the Lord's the one who's supplying it at the top, and you continue to put it out. And if we understand this correctly, there's one who scatters out, increases all the more, or uh, each one must do as he's purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and then God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. So the idea there is, as you begin to do it like God has instructed you to do it, it's not like a pie, it's more like a silo. And you'll see that as we go through this, but very simply, very painting with a very broad brush, Paul is absolutely certain that you won't be worse off, but better off when you give what you should. And that's exactly the point of Luke 6.38. In Luke 6.38, give it will be given to you, they will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. There's the idea of the silo. So the idea of you pull out, uh, you're pulling out a scoop, and then more falls in, and it comes, to, it starts running out. So uh, this experience will be exactly the opposite, if you want to think about it, of the experience of buying a box of cereal in the grocery store. So when the box of cereal was packed at the factory, it was full. But when you get it, is it? It is not. It's shaken down, and there's like a third less than there should be as you open it. You're like, what? So shake it together and you'll you'll have exactly half as much as you started with. That's not how God gives, see. God gives so that you have an abundance. For by your standard of measure, it says, it will be measured to you again. So it's a very clear, dramatic illustration. It's the same principle we saw last week from Proverbs 19.17. One who's gracious to the poor 
lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his good deed. So when God sees that you're going to handle what he's given you in a faithful way, and connected to giving is giving with the right heart attitude. It's very important that we understand that God has given us some to give away, but very clearly in in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, God loves a cheerful giver. God wants you to do it gladly. He wants you to do it with a willing heart. And it shouldn't be hard uh, to convince you to do that, of course, if you understand clearly that God provides what you need back in replace to replace what you've given away, plus an abundance. So God loves a cheerful giver. He's going to make sure you always have all sufficiency in everything. And you may have an abundance for every good deed. So I can say this as often as I can say it. I still don't know how you hook up with that. And again, we're just going to trust the Holy Spirit to see if you just test your own heart. Do you truly believe that to be the case? So, and throughout the study, I, I, you know, I've tried to help you see that God gives material blessing as well as spiritual blessing. He knows how to give back. He might have, he might give back because you don't need to go to the dentist with four boys. He might give back because the car doesn't break down like it normally would. He might give back because your air conditioning lasts a lot longer than it could have lasted. There's all kinds of ways. God knows how to give. It all belongs to him. And he knows how to give it to you in such a way to repay you for uh, how faithful you've been. So God does that. And there are just so many passages we could look at, and we've looked at many already. But how about for, uh, Psalm chapter 1, verse 2? This is a passage that I taught my boys early because it is to men, and you'll see this. Um, Remember how it starts? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, who stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight, verse 2, is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And what happens as a result of setting your mind on Christ and setting your mind on the things of God and making sure that they're priority for you as you do your things in your life, he'll be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and whatever it does, it prospers. That sounds like a pretty good solution to a life that will be right where the Lord wants you, doesn't it to you? You want to teach a, a passage to your kids that they can hold on to? That's one. God's always faithful to do this. This is, this is his idea. Set your heart on those things that belong to the Lord. Set your heart on those things that he loves. Make sure those are your priorities and what happens. Is there spiritual uh, blessing connected to obedience? Of course. Is there material blessing connected to obedience? Of course there is. And both are included in that passage. How about Psalm 92, verse 2? The righteous man will flourish like a palm tree. He will grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. So in other words, roots down deeply in the place where they should be. What happens? Flourishing. Faithfulness to the Lord to you. They will still yield fruit in old age. Thou shall be full of sap and very green. Again, both types of blessings are indicated here. I'd like you to turn with me. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 7, if you would. Deuteronomy 7. Uh, I'm going to put it on the screen, but I think it's good to look at it. You can make some marks there, either on your tablet or uh, in your Bible. So the Lord is setting up his people in the land again. And it's a very important passage. It has to do with uh, how they manage what he's given. Verse 12 of Deuteronomy 7 says, Then it shall come about, because you listen to these judgments and keep them and do them, so you listen to them and you keep them in your heart, and then what happens? You begin to do them. So not just hearing the word, but doing it. That the Lord your God will keep with you, uh, keep with you his covenant and his loving kindness, which he swore to your forefathers. Verse 13. He will love you and bless you and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, your grain, your new wine, your oil, the increase of your herd and the young of your flock. 
in the land which he swore to your forefathers to give you. So everything you have, even the land you're living in, is the Lord's blessing to you. Keep his word, do what he says, and the Lord will bless you, he said to his people. You shall be a blessed, you shall be blessed above all peoples. There will be no male or female barren among you, nor, or among your cattle. Uh, the Lord will remove from you all sickness, and he will not put on you any of the harmful diseases of Egypt which you have known, but he will lay them on all who hate you. Now, when you read that, it's been misused so many times that you think, oh, that's prosperity theology. Is it? It's just a simple formula, isn't it? Do what I say, the Lord says, follow what I, I tell you to do, and you'll be blessed. To a greater or lesser extent, as his sovereignty indicates, but this isn't prosperity theology. Just Prosperity theology indicates that God's obligated to bless you with money, and to not have God's blessing of financial wealth would indicate a lack of faith on your part. That's that's what that means. That's, that's uh, prosperity theology. But here in Deuteronomy, God is indicating how things will work. Everything is owned by him. We don't have anything apart from his gracious provision. And we see in the Old Testament over and over again, positive reinforcement through physical blessing given to those who obey. And this is, of course, part of how you raise your children. Positive reinforcement given in the form of blessing to your children when they obey. You should be spanking them when they disobey. No question about that. But the other side has to be there too. There should be plenty of yes. And as I told you before, as we raised our boys, if, if they're walking in obedience... And we can say yes, because it fits inside the budget, then we do say yes. And just as a side note, because that gives you tons to take away when they're disobeyed. Okay? But if you strip it all down and it's just all they have left is their birthday, and you haven't taken that away from them, then you don't really have anything left to take. Okay? Now the Lord didn't say, you know, uh, time out is for the kid who disobeys. He said the rod is for the back of the kid who disobeys. Okay? So you have to make sure that you're spanking, but you also have to make sure that you're rewarding proper obedience too. And so these are super, super important. We see it over and over again because God deals with us this way. We can deal with those that we raise this way. So we see this command over and over again, positive reinforcement. We see it uh, given to those who share, given to those who give, and those who work hard, and those who save, and those who plan, and those who follow the commands of God. And, and this is what we will do with each question. So I'm going to give you the question, and then I'm going to give you some passages to support that question and and help that answer it in your life. What can I do to fix it? If my answer isn't as it should be, how can I identify what's going on in my life, and how can I remedy this issue? So here's the second question. Here's uh, a remedy to being selfish, of course, uh, is giving. What do I do? Uh, well, um, you're going to have to give. You're going to have to... Uh, God taught us people very early to give and to share. You know, if you want to remedy this whole selfish thing, you're going to have to begin giving, and you're going to have to do it in such a way... Uh, that it's in line with what the scripture says. A generous, faithful, uh, cheerful type of giving. So if you're selfish, you, that may be why you don't have what you need, then it's gonna, you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to have the opposite side. You're gonna have to begin to be generous. He taught us people, God taught us people very early in the land, uh, to give and to share. And he set up the whole rules of the land so that they would begin to understand that right away. And he continued that instruction throughout the Old Testament and chastened his people when they forgot these things. And, you know, in my own reading, I was reading about Hezekiah in Second Chronicles. And we won't go there, but I was talking about this with my family. You know, when Hezekiah came into rulership, the, the temple had been closed for a long time. In fact, it was full of junk, and it took six weeks for the priest to clear it out. It had all kinds of things it shouldn't have had in it. And so he began to set up 
the worship again. He began to set up the sacrificial system again. He began to set up the rotations of the priests so the people could come. And he invited even the northern kingdom to come down and begin to celebrate the Lord. Many of them laughed at him, but many still came. And if you read the passage, of course, it says that some from the Israel came and also did it and rejoiced. And they began to celebrate. And then this little side note, and it's, it's not a, a huge issue, but after about a year of this going on, a year and a half of this going on, Hezekiah comes to the priest and says, so how is this all going? And what, the, what did the priest say? Do you remember? They said, the people are prospering. There's an abundance in the land. And there's more than enough has been given. And we don't have to work anymore because what was happening is the priests, they weren't being taken care of like they were supposed to be. And we read all of that before. And so they were having to work and they weren't there where they were supposed to be. And he says, there's abundance in the land and the people have plenty and they've shared and we have more than enough, and they they call it the heaps. People had been bringing the different heaps, piles of what they were supposed to give, and the priest said, there's more than enough, there's an abundance. And then, again, you, you just fast forward in Israel's history, you have all this, you have all this uh, information given to them, here's what you have to do, and then you see how they didn't do it, and then you have the king that comes back, and he's, he's like, this is not right, we need to straighten this out. And then what happens? Immediately, the Lord is blessing his people, and there's plenty to give and plenty to share. So he taught them very early. He chastened them when they didn't do it. And then as we move into the New Testament, it hasn't changed. And he continues that instruction in our passage in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And so we just have a continuing understanding of this is how the Lord wants us to manage what we have. And where we find, really captured in a snapshot in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, the illustration of, of properly giving and sharing in the New Testament. Committed, faithful, sacrificial, generous giving through the local church for the advancement of the kingdom. We see that and very clearly set out for us, but it doesn't, that really, the habit of giving, the habit of sharing, and the attitude you bring to bear on it hasn't changed one bit. The Lord has continued to bring that to the forefront. And he's picked the local church really as the primary vehicle to do that now, and the New Testament model giving is done that way. And, and the remedy to being selfish and to be really addicted to money and using everything up as it comes in is giving and sharing and meeting needs. Now, the next passage you want to look at, which will lead us to our next question, is found in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 5. And if you're taking notes, this will be your second stop in your notes. It's on the back of your bulletin. Question two, am I impulsive? Am I impulsive? Do I not have what I need because I'm impulsive? And do you see it? Here's, here's, here's some of the questions you'll know if that's it. Do you see it and you want it and you buy it? Just like that? And no one is immune from this, this impulse. And we've looked at passages related to this so often in, the, in this issue. And the remedy for being impulsive is really planning and budgeting and prioritizing. And, and some suggestions, if you find that you're impulsive, if you find that you just kind of see it and you want it and you buy it, uh, and, and this can this can apply to, to uh, families with low income. It can, buy, it can uh, apply to families with a very large income and everything in between. Here's some suggestions. Let the spouse that's least impulsive handle the finances. There's nothing wrong with that. And you should know yourself and be self-aware enough to know whom that is. If you're married, let them handle it if they're less impulsive. Number two, take time before you buy. Let time pass so the impulse can pass. And then if it is something you've planned for, if something you, you desire to have and the Lord's provided for it, and you've done the sharing and, the, and all of that, meeting needs and you're saving and planning, great. Take time to talk purchases over with your spouse. Take time to seek the Lord about a purchase. Um, and And... That, then doing that is allowing this, this, this spiritual gift of self-control the opportunity to have influence. As you slow that whole process down, then you can say, okay, is this really something we should do? And that impulse, which is always there, and the culture kind of caters to that, is able to be brought in subjection by the spirit of self-control. Now, again, there's nothing wrong with 
going on a vacation is nothing wrong with. If you need a car, you get it. These are these are we're not condemning any of these things. And if you need those things, you and the Lord's provided what you need, then you should do it. But if if you're going in, you know, if, if it's just creating a huge uh, debit to your account and you're not going to have anything to share, you're not having anything to plan, nothing to save, then you know that that's not what you should be doing. So give the Holy Spirit a chance by the spirit of self-control to influence that decision. That's a very important spiritual decision, okay? And and it's an issue that's spiritual. And then again, another suggestion. Accountability works very well. You know, ask someone that you trust, uh, perhaps outside your family. What you know? What should we do? I mean, we have a couple choices here, and we're not we're really not sure what you know. We'd like to ask you to pray for us or give me some counsel. You know, don't. And then how about this? Don't place yourself in certain situations where you're going to be tempted. Because many don't have what they need just because they're super impulsive. And they just buy, they see it, they buy it, they want it, they buy it. And then they don't have what they need. And now the next three uh, passages I want us to look at will really lead to our next question. And they're found in, in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 24, the first one. The first one is, the hand of the diligent will rule, but the slack hand will be put to forced labor. And then Proverbs 24 says, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And your poverty will come on you as a robber. You'll want like an armed man. I'm, and I'm going to give you one more. Can you get kind of rounded out understanding of this question? Poor is he who works with a negligent hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a son who acts wisely, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who acts shamefully. And in each of these passages, the promises or the warnings couldn't be any more clear. And so the question is, three, am I lazy? Am I lazy? Do I not have what I need because I'm lazy? Paul Sweeney uh, quoted, I like this quote by him. He says, one motivation is worth ten threats, two pressures, and six reminders. You know, as I, when I served in the private sector, I had a number of people who worked for me. You kind of wish they would have learned this, you know. You can threaten them, you can remind them. If they were motivated to work hard, you wouldn't have to do any of those things. And I think that's the point. My dad used to say, motivation is what gets you started, and habit is what keeps you going. So you're motivated to work hard, and then you make that a regular occurrence, and it becomes a habit for you, and you want to teach your children the same thing. Work hard, always ask them to work hard, require that they work hard when they work, and it becomes a habit for them, and they'll always work hard all their life. And so this is a good thing. And so... It, a lot of people don't have what they need because they're lazy. And, and in, in general, a, a lack of desire to work hard will certainly make you poor. And we've talked about that. So the question is, do you constantly put off things that need to be done? As you look around your house or if, at, at your office or whatever, you you know, if, if it wasn't for the the last minute, nothing would get done. Is that is that how it works for you? Because if that's the case, that's not a good habit. When you're at work, do you only work hard when you suspect that your employer is watching? Do you make excuses for why a job you did isn't the best that it could be when you did it? Is it always somebody else's fault because you did a job and it wasn't as good as it could have been because somebody else didn't do whatever or this or that? Is that a constant theme in your life? Uh, Do you make excuses constantly for why things aren't done or aren't fixed or aren't cleaned or whatever? Uh, Even if it's just in your own mind you're making those excuses and maybe not to someone else? Because this is a habit that's an uncomfortable one to admit. Nobody wants to say, yes, I'm lazy and put up their hand. But the remedy for being lazy, number one, is this. Admit that laziness is a sin. And we saw that very clearly as we took looked at work. Laziness is a sin, and it's a terrible testimony. Start there and ask the Lord for forgiveness. If any of those things are true of you, those questions I asked, are you asking these things to yourself, are you making these excuses, Then, and you don't have what you need, then that might be the case. So some suggestions for this. 
set a schedule and keep to it. If you're having trouble making sure things get done, if things just kind of piling up around the house, piling up around the, the office, set a schedule. Make a, make some goals and set them and stay on them. You know, work on a, a set of, if you're talking about goals, short-term, medium, and long-term goals so that you're accomplishing the things over time that you want to make sure you accomplish. Or ask someone you trust, you know, an accountability partner, someone who has your permission to say hard things to you, and everybody should have that person. And that shouldn't be your spouse, okay, because that doesn't promote harmony inside the marriage. You should have somebody outside that that uh, a guy with a guy, a girl with a girl, who has the right to say hard things because the spouse is going to have a hard time saying hard things, okay. Just you might want to avoid that. Uh, they're not going to take that very well from you, and it's not doesn't promote harmony. So have somebody who's an accountability partner who can say hard things to you and 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 ask them for some candid responses on how to improve your action line and your time management. That will help you. And you can start making some strides there, and you're going to find that the Lord is going to be able to provide what you need and how, what you need to share. Because Proverbs 10.26 is very stark. Listen to this. Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the lazy one to those who send him, meaning the, the one who employs him. Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes. Laziness, that's what it looks like inside the office. That's what it looks like around the home. Now, the next passage I want us to look at, it's going to lead to our next question. It's found in Proverbs 13.18. I will move it quickly here, but I hope it's not too quickly for you to absorb this. We, You've got the foundation laid, so now we're just fixing the issues that might be in play. Proverbs 13, 18, Poverty and shame will come on him who neglects discipline, but he who regards reproof will be honored. Question four, am I undisciplined? And of course, these are all connected to each other, but they are separate uh, issues. So the question is, do I not have what I need because I'm undisciplined? And it can go hand in hand with impulsiveness. You can be impulsive and undisciplined, you, or either one separately, but they'll still result in you not having what you need. Another, another name for this, am I willful? Am I willful? And, and this is someone, if you want to identify this trait, this is someone, this is what it looks like. This is someone who's going to live their life their way, no matter what a wise brother or sister around them might say about it, no matter what the Word of God might say about it, you're just going to do what you're going to do. Okay? And we all know people who are like this. And maybe you have a grown child who's like this. Maybe you have uh, a spouse who's like this. Maybe you have uh, a friend. They're just going to live their life this, their way. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter how you point out. Perhaps they need to change. Uh, what what needs to occur here? That they, they don't matter. They don't care what the word of God might say. They're going to make a, an excuse for why they're doing what they're doing. Why they're living with their uh, with their boyfriend. Why they're you know walking in unfaithfulness. They're just going to make an excuse for it. It doesn't matter what you say. If you're willful, you're going to find you might not have what you need. And it could be a multiple reasons. Uh, you're not disciplined and the Lord's chastening you, or you're not disciplined so you don't do, you make excuses for everything else too and you just don't have what you need. There are people who are in debt, listen, who just keep on getting in debt, people who perhaps fell into the previous category of being impulsive with purchases and just keep doing it. And they refuse to order their life and something comes up and it's outside their budget and they just go ahead and buy it and it, this, this is a willfulness. This is, this is a, this is an undisciplined life. And you just continue to make the same mistake over and over again, refusing to live inside a budget, refusing to set some goals, refusing to say no, because when it comes to finances, as with any other area in life, you have to be willing to change, to listen to instruction, to change course. As Proverbs 13 says, or poverty and shame will come to you. And, and beloved, poverty and shame won't come to you because you don't have good intentions. You can have the best of intentions. And poverty and shame won't come to you because you don't mean well. You may mean well. And poverty and shame won't come to you because you're not a nice person. Or because you're not involved in church. You may be very involved in church. It won't be because you don't have a wonderful home life. You may have a very wonderful home life. 
It will just be because you're willful with money, poverty and shame will come to you. And that can bring shame on what you hold dear, your job, your home, your ministry, your marriage. So do I not have what I need because I'm selfish, because I'm impulsive, because I'm lazy or undisciplined or willful? These are areas that can impact the Lord's ability to provide what you need and and to work in your life in this area of wealth. And if you if you tie willfulness or being undisciplined to the other areas of your life, if you're undisciplined in other areas and willful, like salvation or, or sinful practices or baptism or membership or, or, or serving, symptoms are everywhere, see. If you're just willful, you're just going to do what you want, you're going to find those symptoms all over the place. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 9. The Lord's just general announcement to those who are willful or undisciplined. He says this, Woe to the one who quarrels with his maker, an earthenware vessel among the vessels of the earth. Will the clay say to the potter, What are you doing? Or the thing you're making say, He has no handles. You're making something that's coming back and talking to you and saying, Hey, why don't you put handles on me? Woe to him who says to his to a father, What are you begetting? Or to a woman, to what are you giving birth? Thus saith the Lord, the Holy One of Israel and His Maker. Ask me about the things to come concerning my sons and you shall commit to me the work of my hands. In other words, I know what I'm doing. Trust me and put it back in my hands. Do what I ask you to do. Give your life up to me. What will happen? But It's I who made the earth and I created man upon it and I stretched out the heavens with my hands and I ordained their host. All, all the remedy to being willful, undisciplined, just obey what God says. That just seems very simple, doesn't it? But it does escape a lot of people. You want to know why you don't have what you need? You want to know why your life is in shambles all the time? Because you continually ignore clear commands from the Lord about how you're supposed to reign in your life. And that has to change if you want things in your life to change. And the Lord just says, why do you quarrel with me? I made you. It's like a pot talking to a potter. Why'd you make me like this? It's absurd. Just do what he says. That's, that's the, that's the remedy of being willful. You know, and, and to make it practical in the wealth area, finally sit down and set up a budget that allows you to live on what you bring in and don't gobble it all up. Save and plan. Just sit down and make a budget. And, you know, like Laura and I early in our marriage, maybe envelopes, if you've never done it before, you know, cash the check, put it in envelopes labeled the things you have to pay for, and, you know, the thing, entertainment and other things that comes last and whatever uh, is not used up in giving and that kind of thing. You have something for it. And when it's gone, it's gone. And you can't spend anymore, see. And that's a good way to start getting the idea that you can only spend your money one time. Spending it on with a credit card and then spending other money, you're spending the same money twice. You can't do that. That's, that leads to poverty. Okay? So keep in mind, this is, you know, just obey what God says, sit down, make a budget, save, plan... Follow him for your good. That's the ultimate remedy. Just do what he says. He discerns the thoughts. He discerns the intents of the heart. No justification is going to stand before him. Just do what he asks you to do. The next passage now, I don't want to spend too much time on each one. The next passage you want us to look at is going to lead to our next question. It's found in Proverbs twenty-one seventeen. Here's what he says. He who loves pleasure will become a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not become rich. Verse 20, there's precious treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man swallows it up. Now, we looked at that earlier, just kind of consuming everything that comes in. But question five is a question you can ask. If you don't have what you need, it might be because you're indulgent. What's that mean? Well, eating out all the time? It seems to have become American pastime. Automatically, everybody eats out automatically all the time. And it isn't that eating out is a bad thing. It's certainly a lovely thing to do. 
it's fun to go somewhere and, and order what you want and enjoy that meal together. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. But if you're doing that all the time, you know, it, that can be a bad thing. If it doesn't fit inside your budget, if you have that envelope and that entertainment is gone, then you shouldn't be doing it, see. Think of all the parables Jesus told about include, that include eating and feasting. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing. If you can afford to do that. But indulgence in that area of restaurants and eating out and Starbucks, that can bring you to poverty. My, and my boys will tell you when they're early on and uh, when they started making money, we have, we have connected accounts and uh, I will go back and just kind of see what they spent their money on and then I'll say, you know, in the last 90 days you spent $440 going out to eat. No way. That's always the first thing. No way. $440? Because I think, what can I do with $440? Well, you already used it on Starbucks and going out to eat and, and all those things, see. And so, you know, they know that this is this is an important deal. And they know also it's very super easy to get in that habit, right? It's super easy to get in the habit of start, stopping at Starbucks. So it's, you know, $4.99 every day or whatever. And none of those things are bad things. They're all great. Sitting down with a meal with friends, grabbing a burger or whatever, you know, having some fellowship, that's fantastic, but that can be an indulgent thing that you're doing, which gobbles up your money, and then you don't have what you need, see. And it can be, and, and interact with other things we, we talked about already, like impulsiveness and willfulness. So not managing money wisely, in other words, large credit card debt on things like eating out and extravagant vacations and entertainment, see, or buying a car outside your budget, is going to create a situation where you're going to use up the resources that God's given you on those things so you won't have what you need or be able to do what you need to do. And so these seem simple enough as we're talking about them now, but how hard are they in when you're doing your life? They're hard. And you've got to get on top of that. You've got to say, okay, this is what I have to spend. This is what I'm going to need for these things, what I'm going to need to give away. And so you set those priorities, and then all of a sudden things become a lot more clear to you. And then you seem to have what you need because you put God back in the middle of it. He's just giving you basic, basic instructions about what to do. Proverbs 23.20 do not be with heavy drinkers of wine, so people who practice drunkenness, just very clear, or with gluttonous eaters of meat, so people who overeat. Don't be with either of them. For the heavy drinker and the glutton will come to poverty, and drowsiness will clothe one with rags, and you'll be right there. Okay? So, very clear. And those are just a few of the habits with wealth that will bring you to poverty. And the remedy to being indulgent? Planning, budgeting, using cash. Setting a schedule that allows you and your family to sit down and eat a meal or take your lunch with you. Avoid the tyranny of the urgent so you don't have to always rely on restaurants because you didn't plan well for the day. Be careful of the people you associate with because it's a tough habit to break if everybody around you is going out to eat all the time and you don't have the money to do that and yet you want to. And obviously it's fun. So you just have to begin to rein your life in that way. Ask the Holy Spirit for uh, that gift of, of self-control that you can take a look at that and be ca- candid to your, with yourself. Now let's look at the next passage that's going to lead to our next question, found in Proverbs 28.18. He who walks blamelessly will be delivered, but he who is crooked will fall all at once. Verse 19, he who tills his land will have plenty of food, but he who follows empty pursuits will have poverty in plenty. A faithful man will abound with blessing, but he who makes haste to be rich will not go unpunished. So here's the question six. Am I a schemer? Do I not have what I need because I'm a schemer? And Proverbs 28.18 speaks to this question from a number of different angles, and those angles really provide the remedy for us. Uh, Number one, conduct your life blamelessly. You'll be delivered. He who walks blamelessly will be 
deliverance. Just make sure your life is blameless. As you look around and you compare your life to what the Word of God says, make sure you're walking in accordance with the Word and you'll be delivered. Walk in integrity in all things, because he who is crooked will fall all at once. Walk in integrity. Make sure it's not a subjective kind of integrity. Well, I'm a lot better than the other guy who does this job. That's not that's not the measurement. It's it's a measurement of what the Word of God says. Walk in integrity. Don't compromise. Don't keep shifting the line, you know, because when there's a lot of money at stake, it's easy to, if the line's fluid, the line's going to move if there's a lot at stake. So just make sure the line doesn't move. And I'm not talking about a legalistic kind of line. I'm just talking about, okay, these are the things the Lord says not to do. These are the things I'm not going to do. So, work, that's, you know, till your land, don't follow empty pursuits, that's what it says. You know, till your land, you're going to have plenty. So, work hard, you'll have what you need. He who follows empty pursuits will have poverty in plenty. Faithful, a faithful man will abound with blessing. Be faithful, do what God says, obey his instructions in every area, just obvious. Take your time, plan, save, and invest. So, don't make haste to get rich, that's what it says in the last part. But he who makes haste to be rich will not go unpunished. You know, take your time. It's not all going to happen at once. It takes planning, a desire to to set some aside, making sure that you are doing what you should do. And over time, as we saw earlier in Ecclesiastes and, and some other passages, what happens over time, the way you've planned, as the Lord allows you to, will allow you to bridge a gap where you can't make what you did, or when you have a sickness or you, something happens, a disruption in your schedule that you didn't know about but the Lord did, or when it's time to not do what you've done all your life and you're going to work for the kingdom, You'll have what you need. So these are things that the Lord says to do. Take your time, plan, invest, save, don't get hit, be hasty. So am I selfish? Am I impulsive? Am I lazy, undisciplined, willful, indulgent? Am I a schemer? See, that could be why you don't have what you need in the areas. And these are all character traits in relation to material things that you don't want. Now let's look at our next verse. We'll discern uh, the next question we need to ask. Ecclesiastes 4.6 says this. One handful of rest is better than two fists full of labor and striving after the wind. Then I looked again at vanity under the sun. There was a certain man without a dependent, having neither a son nor a brother, yet there was no end to his labor. Indeed, his eyes were not satisfied with riches, and he never asked, And for whom am I laboring and depriving myself of pleasure? This too is vanity." And a grievous task. There's a ton of stuff we could we could kind of break down there, but we're not going to for time. The thing I want to talk about here is for, is this. It's that center center section where it says there was a certain man without a dependent, so he's there on his own. There's no one that is depending on him to bring in a salary, and and yet there was no end to his labor. Indeed, why? Because his eyes were not satisfied with riches, and he never asked. And for whom am I laboring and depriving myself? So here's the deal. Do I need more, or am I just trying to elevate my lifestyle? It's a tricky question. There's nothing wrong with being ambitious. There's nothing wrong with uh, moving your way up the corporate ladder so the Lord promotes you and gives you opportunity. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. We, we see a number of examples that we've looked at already of businessmen and people in the community who, who had what they needed. They obviously worked their way up. They obviously worked hard and, and had position and all of that. And we see, you know, we saw in Psalms last time, right? The, the, the crown is not forever, right? It doesn't endure to all generations. So save and do the things you're supposed to do and plan. So I'm not, not condemning any of that, not, not condemning working hard, not condemning making sure your boss looks good, because that's the ultimate desire, is to make sure you work like Joseph worked for Potiphar. Why? Well, that just meant, it said in, in Genesis, what, that Potiphar didn't even have to worry about the bread that was on his own table. 
And it's the epitome of working hard and making sure things are taken care of. So that work ethic is super important. But here's the thing. There isn't anything wrong with, with needing more. If you need more, certainly. If you need a bigger car, if you need a, a larger house, it, it, you know, your family's growing or whatever it is. There's nothing wrong with those things. And we see that over and over again. The Lord provides everything you have. You wouldn't have anything if he didn't give it. But the issue really is, these questions are, are, are important to ask, and it takes a lot of discernment to determine the motive of your desire. And some thoughts that can really reveal the heart of the issue, here's, here's, here's how you can know that you're moving in the wrong direction. Do you feel you deserve to live better than you do? Is that in your mind? I should be living better than I'm living. That's not in the direction you need to go. That would be very similar to what we saw in the middle of that Ecclesiastes passage. Or how about this? You think you should be further ahead than you are at this time of your life. Or you feel better about yourself when you have things and can do things than you do when you were slim and had hardly anything. Or how about do you remember the last time you thank God for what you have now? If you can't remember when the last time you thank God for what you have now, that's a serious problem. And I posed to you before, and it's not original to me, if you only had today what you thanked the Lord for yesterday, what would you have? And that's an important principle, beloved, because being thankful is a trademark of those who know Christ as their Savior. Glorifying God and being thankful, we see in Romans chapter 1, very clearly tells us that those things are trademarks of those who love the Lord. And thankfulness is super important. So if thankfulness isn't part of your whole mission statement as you work your way up the corporate ladder, then you've got a problem. And again, nothing wrong with working hard, nothing wrong with making your boss look good, nothing wrong with bringing money in for the company. That's what you should be doing. Faithfully, because it, the Bible says, adorns the gospel when you work hard. But it's hard to discern what the reasons are for why you want to elevate your lifestyle. You've got to be careful with that. You've got to kind of analyze what's going on there. There's a national survey a number of years ago that found that over half of Americans feel at least a moderate amount of stress in their lives. Grant was talking to us about this on the MCAT, a whole section about stress and its impact on the body. And it, it, it brought to my mind this illustration. Uh, at least half of Americans feel a moderate amount of stress in their lives. And what was surprising was that more the more highly paid and educated a person was, the higher and more persistent levels of stress they felt. Apparently, education may lead to a higher income, but not necessarily a higher life. Indeed, stress soared, said he said, with the level of income across all categories, a factor many economically pressed citizens can hardly understand. They, they think that the pressure is trying to make the ends meet at the end of the month. But they think, well, if I just had more, things would be a lot easier, but that doesn't tend to be the case. And more bad news, those who can most afford to enjoy the high life often don't. Missing meals, sleep, drinking more often, and getting less exercise. So the study just confirms to me the quote I heard once, money won't buy happiness, but it will pay the salaries of a huge research staff to study the problem. And I think that that's really the issue. It takes a lot of discernment to determine the motive behind your desire. And, and as a footnote, just to be clear, for, for salespeople, you know, you, you work for someone else. You're building their company. So you can't bring the, should we be trying to do better this year kind of argument, okay? You're not going to keep your job very long if you're working in sales and, and, and you're saying, well, we're really good. I mean, the company's good. We don't have to work harder. That isn't your option, okay? You work hard and you do that for your company. You know, you don't have that discussion with your boss. 
you don't want to confuse the issue of being content with working hard as a testimony to the Lord. You know, and Joseph is that prime example. And then, so, as we think about the remedy to that whole thing, Galatians chapter 5 verse 26 comes to, 25 and 26 come to mind. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So what's that look like, Paul? Well, let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Those three things. You want to make sure you're on the right track? A remedy to avoid the wrong motivation? Ask, why do I want more? And how have I handled what I already have by God's standards? That's a, that's a faithful question to ask. Why do I want more? And how have I handled what I already have from the Lord? According to His standards, have I done what I should do? Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5, and it helps uh, shore that up. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money. We looked at that a number of weeks ago. Being content with what you have, for he himself has said, I will never desert you. I will never desert you. That is such a solid statement. Can you agree with that? The Lord says, I will never desert. Be content with what you have. I'll never desert you. Nor will I ever forsake you. So that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? And we've asked the do I love money question already. And would you be content if your monetary position never changed? If it's always going to be lean for you, can you confidently say the Lord is my helper? I'll not be afraid. What will man do to me? If it's always going to be lean, are you okay with that? And can you confidently say this as it says in Hebrews? Because then you're right exactly where the Lord wants you. Because in lean money times, or in easy money times, this is the attitude the Lord wants from you. I will confidently say, the Lord is my helper. What can man do to me? Either lean or in abundance. Your confidence is not in your bank account. It's not in how much you've saved and socked away for, for retirement. It is in the Lord. He is the one who provides it. It doesn't endure to all generations. You may decide to take it. If you're okay with either way, then you're going to be okay. Let's look at our next verse. This is the question we need to ask. Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. We're just about done. Verse 8 says, Will a man rob God? Yet, you are robbing me, but you say, How have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You're cursed with a curse, for you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that you, there may be food in my household. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows, then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that they will not destroy the fruits of the, of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. All the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Here's question number eight. Am I paying for a time when I robbed God? Do I not have what I need? Because I have consistently robbed God over a long period of time. So in other words, you haven't given what you should. You've consumed it on yourself. You've never been faithful with it. You know, it, it's that whole old joke of the conversation between a $100 bill and a $1 bill. The $1 bill asks the $100 bill, what have you been doing? Well, to which the $100 bill replies, oh, going out to eat, the theater, vacation, having fun. $100 bill then asks the $1 bill, how about you? What you've been doing? Oh, you know, um, church, 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 church. It's not a secret. We looked at the statistics already in 2019. The average person gives about 2% of their income. So 
do you not, it's, it's a legitimate question. Do you not have what you need because you have consistently over time just consumed everything that wasn't yours to consume? And that's a serious issue. And the lesson for Israel is that they were living with the fruit that are past. That's the whole conversation in Malachi. Now, we understand what tithes were. That was required giving. We understand that we don't live in that system, that theocracy anymore, where it's it's supported by all of that. And so that's irrelevant for us at this point. That system has passed away, but the offerings are still there. And we're going to see that as we move into our next part of our study. In fact, that's what Second Corinthians 8 and 9 is all about. So the question is, you know, is there? Are you paying for a time when you misuse what God has given you? And and you know this by now because we've looked at it long enough that some of what you took in wasn't for you, and you consumed it on yourself. And and uh, and maybe it's not just misgiving like we see in Malachi. Maybe it's like what we see in Isaiah chapter sixty-one. Maybe it's for I the Lord love justice. I hate robbery and the burnt offering. I'll faithfully give them their recompense and make an everlasting covenant with them. In other words, walk with me and and take care of those I placed in your care and don't steal from me. It all belongs to me. And, and when you when you live as you should, then their offerings, he says in Isaiah, will be known among the nations. Now, Isaiah preached during a time when the nation was about to be consumed by Babylon. So he's telling them, turn, turn, turn constantly the, the message of Isaiah. Don't keep doing what you're doing. This is not what the Lord said for you to do. And your destruction is imminent. And they just said, great, Isaiah, we'll change, right? No. Isaiah had a really crummy ministry. And as it compares to man's standards, thrown in a pit and all kinds of things, despised him constantly. But he's saying, turn, turn, turn. Listen, your offspring will be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the people. All who see them will recognize them because they are the offspring of the Lord that the Lord has blessed. I'll rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He's wrapped me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. So in other words, if you've robbed God and you live by that for a while, it can be repaired. That's what Isaiah is saying. Listen, you've lived this way, the wrong way. You can fix this. The Lord will restore it. And I just told you in Hezekiah, you got the perfect example of that. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5, we have the New Testament counterpart to these verses we just looked at in Malachi and Isaiah. It says this, And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you're reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? And the rhetorical question is, there shouldn't be any. But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. In other words, it shouldn't surprise you that the Lord would chasten you if you chose to live in disobedience in any area, then chastening is what you should expect, along with this whole area that deals with how you manage your finances. And whether it's a moral issue or a material issue, God expects obedience from those who are his bond slaves, and that is our title. And God says, by the way, you have experience in this Furthermore, we had, he says, earthly fathers to discipline us and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of Spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good so that we may share in his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful, obviously. And maybe you're in the middle of that. And the position you're in now may not be pleasant because you don't have what you need. It doesn't stretch to the end of the month. 
And we understand how unpleasant it was to be disciplined by our parents, who did it for our good, to accomplish the end result they thought was best at the time. And we recognize that, but sometimes we don't recognize God's chastening hand. And if we're truly born again, and in his family, we can't disobey him with impunity, because God wants us to share in his holiness. And you share in his holiness by doing what he says. See, And he knows what chastening to bring to bear to accomplish that end. And the question for you will be, if this is true for you, is how long you're going to continue to endure the chastening over and over again till you learn your lesson. And the rest of verse 11 says, yet to those who have been trained by it, so there's this hope, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Therefore, therefore, feel sorry for yourself in the position that you're in. No. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble and make straight paths for your feet so that the limb, the limb which is lame may, be not, may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. In other words, there's a path you can walk on and it's going to lead to your healing. See. So what do you do? What's the remedy? Well, we just read it. The remedy from coming out under the chastening hand of God, if, if you've been consuming everything on yourself, is realize, first of all, that the Lord chastens those that he loves and you may be right in the middle of that. So begin to ask the right questions concerning the use of material things. And I'm not saying that I know every situation, and some of these situations may be combined. There may be a willfulness, and there may be undisciplinedness, there may be impulsiveness, and there may be the fact that you've just robbed him over a long period of time. So all these things may be coming to bear. See? So I don't know how this is all going to work out for you, but you can certainly ask these questions. Ask the right questions concerning the use of material things. If you're always short, you don't have what you need, the Lord says he provides for your needs, but you don't have it, then you need to have a hard look at what you're doing. And then seek his forgiveness. And then, beloved, show forth the fruit of repentance by learning from your lesson. See? Now, let's look at our last passage and the last question. And we're out. Luke 16, chapter 10. He who is faithful in a very little thing... Sounds like Rockefeller Sr., right? I, if I hadn't given off the first dollar, I wouldn't have given off the first million. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much... He who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. And what are we talking about? You cannot serve God and wealth. Verse 14. Now, the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, wouldn't you hate to have that as your moniker at the end of your name? Kurt Parker, who is a lover of money. You don't want that, right? That's an awful thing for, for the Lord to have to say about you. We're listening to all these things and we're scoffing at him. And he said to them, you're those who justify yourselves in the sight of men. So you make reasons for what you do. That doesn't mean you're okay. But God knows your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. Question nine, here it is. Is God trying to teach you something? Do I not have what I need because God's trying to teach me some certain thing? And as we read Luke 16, what was the passage about? Money. If you've not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will give you true riches? Money is the great barometer of spirituality. What are true riches? Well, spiritual power to witness. Fruit of the Spirit, holiness, 
a significant eternal impact in the lives of other people, those are true spiritual riches. Those are riches that do not fade away. Blessed are those who bring the gospel, Daniel says, for they will shine like stars forever. Do you want to be in eternity with a glory that doesn't fade away? Be faithful. Give the gospel out. Those are true spiritual riches. Kingdom riches tied to the use of temporary riches. In other words, you're giving enough that you're laying up treasure that doesn't fade away. Those are true riches. And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? goes back to the question, will a man rob God? Who owns the world and everything in it? The Lord does. There is in all of its fullness. How are you managing what really belongs to him? That's the question. If you're not managing what belongs to someone else very well, the Lord has loaned you everything. And if you're not being very good with that, how are you going to manage what belongs to you? What he plans to give you, see, you're not going to do it very well, see. No servant can serve two masters, for either will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God in wealth. Ultimately, beloved, ultimately, God has bigger plans for you than just providing for your paycheck each month. Did you know that? It's not just only about that. He knows you need it, and he's happy to produce it for you. But maybe he's looking for the hard attitude, see. Maybe maybe he has something else. In, he's a lot more in store for you than just that. And so the way you're managing that is making him have to teach you some lessons, and he wants your heart. Maybe he's shaping you for some kingdom work, and so he's bringing through a difficult time with material things so that you'll begin to look to him for what he may have for you kingdom-wise. Maybe he is helping you work on priorities. Maybe he's trying to refine you. Again, I don't know all the scenarios that can be at work. Maybe it's a test from the Lord to see if you're focused. Maybe he wants to develop a more intimate prayer life with you. That'll do it, right? When things are short each month and you barely make it to the end of the month, that'll bring a prayer life to the forefront. Lord, we need these things. I don't see how we're possibly going to be able to do it, but we're still going to be faithful to do what we said we would do. We're going to share. We're going to save. We're going to plan. And we're just going to trust you. And you're never... As we saw, Cowell said, you're never going to get ahead of the Lord when you do it that way. James chapter 1, verse 2, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, difficult times, pressing pressure, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So if you don't have what you need, and or you don't have enough, and it's because God's trying to teach you something, what's the remedy? Consider it all joy. I realize that God is at work. And when he's through with you, you'll be complete, lacking nothing. I don't know how that sits with you. I don't know if any of those have made it more clear, perhaps, where you are in your life. Maybe it's a combination of things. My prayer for you is the Holy Spirit makes that clear. If we can help, certainly, staff here, we'd love to do that. But I think that you have all that you need in the Word of God, to begin to make those changes that you need to make. It doesn't matter if you're working a part-time job and you barely uh, bring in anything, or if you are doing very well, and the Lord's provided richly for all that you have. Uh, those things are great. Make sure that you honor Him with what you have, and do it in the way that God's prescribed for it to be done. And you'll find that you're exactly where the Lord wants you, doing the things He wants you to do. Let's bow and be dismissed in prayer, and we'll close our time out together. Lord, we thank you today for the great blessing of knowing your son. We thank you today for uh, these instructions, which are so clear. And you had so much to say about this. Many times more than you talked about heaven and hell, you talked about money because it's so deceptive and can make it seem like we're right with you when we're not.
It can make us seem like we're insulated from difficult times when we aren't. And we can put our faith and our hope in it, which you have not given it to us so that we would replace you or the time you've given us with it. And so, Lord, thank you for whatever level that you've blessed us. Thank you for faithfully providing what we need as we look around our life and the richness that's there. We're so grateful for that. We thank you for it. Help us to be more thankful people as we move out from today. Coming before you each day and thanking you for the many blessings you bring to our mind. And, and what a joy it is to begin to do that because then the blessings begin to flow in more in our mind that we already know we have. And we begin to thank you for more things. And we're more keen on doing it when we're done than we were when we started. Lord, I pray that the dynamic will be part of our prayer life. And Lord, whatever these issues may be, if the, any of them are, are part of uh, the life of, of our flock, Lord, I pray that you'll begin to help them see how they can make some changes here volitionally where you will be involved in in the whole process. And when you're involved and it's a silo and not a pie, uh, things change. Lord, you own the world and everything in it, in all of its fullness. Lord, help us to be found faithful with what you've loaned us, no matter what it is. And we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus, and all God's people said, Amen.